Hey, one more thing before you go. As I promised, closing out this year, I would like to share with you one of my favorite episodes. This one is involving a wonderful woman who is battling ALS, but still wants to make sure she gets the message that life is worth living, no matter what your obstacles are that are put in front of you. It is a heartfelt, honest, and a difficult conversation, but I think it's important as we go into this next year that we understand that each of us and our lives are a value to not only ourselves, but to those around us. It's a great message for the new year to begin. So please enjoy this Wednesday revisit, I'm Dying to Tell You, with Lori Carey. In today's episode, we're going to learn what it's like to have ALS, also known as Lou Gehrig's disease. We're going to hear from somebody that's going to tell us about her journey, her diagnosis of having a fatal disease where there is no cure, and how she continues to raise her family and make a positive impact on others. I am your host, Michael Hurst, and this is The Thing About Dying to Tell You. She was diagnosed with this fatal disease some time ago. Her story is one of compassion empathy, support, and living life to the fullest while she's still here. She is a mom, a wife, and the host of I'm Dying to Tell You podcast. Welcome to the show, Lori Carey. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Oh, it's quite a journey that you really, that you have been through. <laughs> yeah, it has been. <laughs> it has been an interesting 16 years since the day I was diagnosed, yes. Well, like any story, let's let's start at the beginning. Where, okay. Where'd you grow up? Well, I'm here in Ohio, so I'm a Midwest girl, and I've st pretty much stayed here in this area. So, um, yeah. Did you go to university? Yes, Miami University, and that's Miami of Ohio. <laughs> Is that where you met your husband? Actually, no. I met my husband, I guess you can say, at a club. <laughs> I was with some friends and some guy friends, and we are hometown of Pete Rose, Cincinnati Reds player, and we were looking for Pete Rose's house, and we ran out of gas. And so the guys that I was with walked to the restaurant club that we were headed to and came back with a car. And they said, oh, we ran into a friend, really nice guy. And he gave us his car so we could get gas. And, you know, it was all before cell phones, of course. And so eventually we went to the club and I walked in and saw him and I said, what? Your friend is pretty cute. <laughs> and uh, although he was with another girl, they assured me that they were just friends. And I said, I'm going to have a party this weekend if you want to invite your cute friend. And they said, OK. And then I had to go plan a party. And then the rest is history. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, people don't believe in love at first sight, but it exists. It does. 
So you have kids? I do. I have two young adults. They are 28 and 29, two sons, Paul and Christian. Yeah. So. That's an, an interesting age. I have one that's turning 30 this month, and I have one that just turned 28, uh, two girls. Oh, okay. Okay. So yeah. I, yeah. It's, yep. Interesting. Interesting point in life. Yes. <laughs> what you uh, would you do for a living? I was in sales for many years, uh, consumer product sales. So I worked for the food industry, and I worked for Nabisco and Kraft and ConAgra Foods. Uh, I was in national account sales, and uh, my last job before I went on disability, I was selling Chef Boyardee ravioli <laughs> and a lot of other good stuff. I think I grew up on that. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. I, I believe I did. Yep, I did too. <laughs> so let's talk about ALS a mm -hmm. little bit. Um, yeah. ALS, when were you first diagnosed with ALS? I was diagnosed on Friday the 13th in February of 2004. Do you have any black cats run in front of you prior to going to the doctor? <laughs> Not that I know of, but I'm going to say yes, I think so. <laughs> yeah, I was never, I was never um, superstitious before, but yeah. <laughs> that might change your outlook just a little. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you were a fairly young woman, were you, weren't you? Yeah, I was 37. Yeah. You want me to tell you the story? Of I would love you to tell me the story. Okay. <clears throat> well, in December of 2003, I was in a really bad car accident, and I was clipped by a semi-truck, and my car spun from the slow lane to the fast lane, and I ended up facing the wrong way on the highway, and I was not hurt, but I went to the doctor just to get checked out, and while I was there, I said, by the way, I think I have arthritis because I can't open up water bottles and, you know, my mom has arthritis, so I must have that. And she said, yeah, you definitely have arthritis. And let's do an x-ray and figure out what kind. And she did some blood work as well. And I came back to her a couple weeks later. And she said, you do not have arthritis at all and there's nothing else that I see in your blood work however because I had lost muscle mass in my hand she said there's definitely something that is not right so she recommended me to a hand doctor and he didn't know what it, what it was, and a couple other doctors, and no one knew what was going on until I got 
to a neurologist. And he was the one that I met with on Friday the 13th. And he did an EMG where they put on the needles in your arms and legs and in every muscle of your body. And um, he came back in after the test and he said, what do you know about what this could be? And I immediately said ALS because I had done my research and it just kept, kept coming up. So, How'd that make you feel? Well, all I can remember was reading two to five years, fatal, no cure. Two to five years, fatal, no cure. And that was, that was all I could hear replaying in my mind. So my husband and I left, and it was, it was late at night for some reason. And maybe he got us in, you know, worked us into an appointment. Or for some reason, it was like 7 o'clock at night. And we were the only ones there. When we left, we had to take an elevator up to the main floor to go on out to our car. And I remember in that elevator ride thinking, when I get off this elevator, the whole world is going to look different, that it's going to change. And I got off the elevator and everything looked normal. You know, people were walking their dogs, and cars were going by, and it was on a university campus. There were everyone around, and I realized in that moment that life was going to continue despite the fact that I was 37 and had just been told I had two to five years, you know, so. And uh, and that's a, that's been a few years ago, so you've surpassed that two to five year diagnosis and you're still moving forward and spreading positivity to others. Yeah, it's been 16 years. I'm definitely one of the lucky, unlucky ones. Yeah. Well, and, and to help our listeners understand a little bit more about what ALS is, you know, it's a nervous system disease that weakens muscles and impacts physical function. It, uh, it's a nerve disease the nerve cells break down, which produces functionality in the muscles they supply. And there's, you know, many people, uh, I know I mentioned already about Lou Gehrig. Lou Gehrig is uh, kind of mostly known for that in the beginning, way back when, I think the Mm -hmm. 39 era, somewhere around 1939. Mm -hmm. Might be wrong on the A year, I'll have to go back and look. But um, uh, Stephen Hawking is one of the more famous people that people recognize, you know, Mm at what point that this and actually he was diagnosed the same way he seemed to 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 go way beyond that obviously and kept his brain moving forward yeah which is a positive thing and that's that's some of the things that you're doing now you continue to stay active and you continue to stay um involved which is a very good thing yeah yeah and it doesn't it doesn't affect your brain it does rob you of the ability to speak and move and breathe on your own. So in later stages of the disease, it's like 
being trapped within your own body because you are well aware of, you know, what is going on. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Can from your perspective, if you can help some, help us understand a little bit, um, obviously not knowing that we're, neither one of us are doctors, but you are somebody yeah. that's experiencing it. Can anybody get it? Yes, ninety percent of those that have ALS are completely random. So, like for me, all the testing that they did, I don't even have high cholesterol. There was absolutely nothing that, you know, was coming up as a health issue except for this ALS. So it does not, (laughs) ALS does not discriminate. Everyone is a target. And, you know, we used to think of it like as an old person's disease or an old male, Uh, but there's so many young people being diagnosed in their 20s and even younger. So it is definitely everyone's disease. Do you know if it's hereditary? Yeah, 10% does have a familia component, um, a certain gene that they have identified. And so, yes, 10% is hereditary. Speaking of familiar, your family really um, kind of, kind of surrounded you with support and with uh, love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> My uh, sons, who were eleven and thirteen when I was diagnosed, really championed trying to make a difference in our community and. As of today, they've raised over a million dollars for amazing. yeah for research and patient care, and so it's been it's been really good to see how they have grown and developed you know over living more years with ALS in their life than not, and I don't know I, I just think it's been really good for them. You know, I always thought as a young mom, oh, when my boys get to be teenagers, they're going to adopt some cause, you know, to realize how great it is to give back to other people. And then at a younger age, this came about and yeah. (laughs) Yeah, They kind of took the ball and ran, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. So do do you have grandkids? No, <laughs> no, neither of them are married yet, and so you know. <laughs> hey, we, we all can we all can hope. I got one married daughter, and I'm I'm still waiting for the other one. All right, yeah, it's on my list. I remember when I was diagnosed, I said I just want to see them graduate from high school, you know, and then know that they're on their way and doing well and. And now I've seen them graduate from high school and college and grad school. And so that's the next thing. There you <laughs> and go. I'll, that's the next thing I'm waiting on. Yeah. What what motivates you each day as you get up? Uh, well, they do. My family, you know, I really do think that there's something to be said. And, you know, as a parent, 
that your adult children, your children learn from example, you know? And so I think about in the future when I'm not here, how will they handle adversity? What will they do with their time? And so they fuel my fire and they motivate me to push myself every day. That's a very good thing. Um, I'm going to ask a very deep question. What does somebody, what does somebody do, or what can they do if they've been diagnosed with a prognosis such as a fatal disease, and you know that you've got a specific amount of time? I mean, you you obviously you were told that, and and you and like you and I had spoken earlier, we don't always listen to what the doctors say specifically, even though there are certain things that are inevitable, but. When you're giving a, a diagnosis like this, what would you recommend to somebody to motivate them to say y- you can go past that? Well, I think you have to listen to your heart and be your own advocate. And not only medically, you know, we have people in our community who were told one thing and, you know, were, were told that they didn't have ALS or go home and get your affairs in order you know, different types of things like that. And if they want to listen or if I want to listen to two to five years, you know, where would I be right now? So I think you have to really listen to your own intuition and your heart. And obviously you have to put stock in your physicians, but they're human and they're giving you a perspective, you know, Um, and that and focusing on what is important in life. And I think an evaluation of that, whether you're sick or not, is important. Can you share with us what it's like, um, what it's like a day for you? What's a day for you? Um, well, I am, I am an exception to the rule with ALS. So I am still very mobile. I cannot lift my arms above my head. So my husband will wash my hair, put it up in this fancy uh, ponytail (laughs) and, um, you know, anything like that. But I still have most abilities. So, you know, right now it's a whole different season for me because of the virus. And my diaphragm is my weakest muscle. So I am very high risk. And so we're really not going anywhere. Um, My mom is sick, so I go see her at her house. And other than that, you know, that's it. So, but I, you know, I do virtual uh, personal training here at the house and go for walks in the neighborhood. And of course, I'm still learning (laughs) this podcast right now. And so I'm thankful to have that during this quarantine time. (laughs) Yeah, that's, I mean, obviously you stay, you stay active and you stay, you know, you move forward. Yeah. Um, I think that's positive. That's positive than doing any diagnosis that somebody gets, whether it be ALS or not. We 
took care of my father-in-law who had Lewy body dementia. And mm-hmm. um, that's, uh, a, again, a neurological aspect of the brain starts shutting down their functions and they don't, they can't walk, they can't move, they can't, there's many things that they can't do that's similar mm-hmm. to your position. And one of the things that they did was um, they provided us with exercises for him and they provided us with uh, brain in in his particular case they, they we gave him uh, some brain and speech therapy and that's kind of a thing mm-hmm. does somebody going through als have those opportunities um yeah i mean they definitely have that opportunity but the one thing about als is typically when muscle loss is gone it's gone so it's not to restore. Like for me, I do personal training to keep those muscles that are still good stronger, not to gain back strength. Um, you know, and just maintain it. Yeah, mm-hmm. to maintain what you still have. Yeah, I mean, it's like anything when you don't move, and especially you know, I'm fifty five. Um, you know, when you don't use your muscles, you're going to lose them. And even if you're a healthy person, so, you know, it's kind of hard to figure out what muscle loss is because I'm aging or because of ALS. So, yeah. I understand that. So what do you do to spend, I know that you started a podcast. Mm-hmm. So let, let's talk a little bit about that. I know that, uh, uh, listen to your podcast. It's uh, done very well. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Um, I know you got some excellent equipment I'm looking at right there. Our <laughs> viewers, our listeners can't see that, but <laughs> I can tell you it's really, it's really set up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, last year when I hit my 15 years with ALS, I was thinking about, you know, what I can do with this extra time. And I thought about the podcast and I thought it would be good to learn something new that I could do on my own. So that's what I did. I taught myself, you know, how to, how to, how to do everything. And I'm not even tech savvy at all. I always say I can't take the photos from my phone to my computer, (laughs) but I have figured it out, and um, so it's been really good. I love learning new things, and I think that stimulation and independence of something is good for me, and it's been really fun, and I thought I would share all these stories of inspiration that I had come across in the past or people that I had met, which I am, but also I have come across so many new things. And so it's been really good for me that way, you know, kind of researching and being inspired every day as I learn about new people and what they are going through. It's been really Good for me, you know. Kind of, what do they call it, cathartic? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I mean, I've talked to, of course, several people with ALS. 
and you know, because that's kind of the the group I run with, kind of thing. And they are very inspirational. I mean, um, just from having a positive attitude to writing a book with, you know, to writing a book with their eyes because they can't move their body at all. I just, yeah, I mean, I just interviewed a girl who's 36 and she is completely veteran and she, I interviewed her by her using her eyes to type every letter on a speech generating device, a computer, and that's how she answered. And, uh, yeah, so... I think that's something similar to what everybody recognizes with uh, Stephen Hawking's. Yeah. Similar to that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah that's... Um, yeah. They, uh, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they've got some kind of a, like a voice bank where you mm-hmm. can, yep. you know, store and develop kind of a speech pattern for you yep. in regard to all that. Do you know anything about that? Yeah, I, I did that years ago. I banked my voice and you um, sit down and use a program and you record certain things, you know, that they ask you to do. And then eventually you can apply that to whatever computer you're using and it will be more like your own voice. And, you know, there's a lot of people doing that, like, for if they're young and they have young children and they want to, like, let's say it's a guy and he has a young daughter. Well, every dad thinks about giving the toast at his daughter's wedding reception. Absolutely. Well, yeah, well, that's something that he can go ahead and record and bank and, you know, have that for the future, you know. That's so amazing. it's good. Yeah, that's I outstanding, mean, actually, mm-hmm. that that technology exists and it's available for individuals to utilize. Yeah, I think when you're living with a fatal disease that, you, that doesn't have a cure, you think in that space. You think about legacy and you think about how to be a part of something that you typically would not think about, you know, when there's a wedding or milestone or grandchild or whatever. So, um, you know, it's, I mean, you wish that you could be there, but it's also good to have technology to help you be a part of it. Well, what a valuable opportunity for a daughter. Uh, as I said earlier, I've got two daughters. Yeah. A valuable opportunity for those kids, whether they be male or female, mm-hmm. to be able to have that experience at their wedding. Yeah. Or have that experience at something that's a milestone with them that somebody, you know, father or mother could not be at. That's right. That's yeah. that's really amazing. Um, yeah. Yeah. That that. that exists like that. I think that uh, whoever whoever developed that um, came from heart and compassion. Yeah. Yeah. Which is really cool. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. So 
we kind of got off track a little bit there for a second, but um, what gave you the idea of a podcast actually, instead of like a book or something? Well, because it is hard for me to type because my fingers don't move that well. Although, and the irony of that is, is that my voice, um, when I get tired or I talk too much, it's also weaker or very breathy. And so I didn't, after, after I made the decision, I was like, why am I choosing to do this right now? So I guess it was the easier of the two. And I didn't want to do video because I just, it just adds a whole other component, you know, of lighting and technical, you know, um, a lot of technical challenges. So, and I knew nothing about podcasting, you know, so I thought, learn something new. I was a journalism major in college. And so, yeah, it's just something totally new. I knew nothing about. So That's a good thing to start. I mean, if you're going to look into something and you want to do something enjoyable and something that passes on a very good message to people mm -hmm. and you've got something to say, this, this was a perfect fit. Yeah. Yeah. So just like this, well, this podcast, one more thing before you go. Yeah. Gives you an opportunity to say what you want to say. So that's, that's there. You've created your own legacy, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I saw the name of your podcast in our group and I was like, hmm, interesting. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Well, you've created that legacy. You've done that mm -hmm. within your own podcast. You, I mean, it's always going to be there as long as. It's yeah. up there. It's out there. Basically, people have downloaded it. They've been able to can go back and check on it. And yeah. the stories that I've been able to listen to so far are inspiring and they're educational and they're very motivational. Yeah. Well, that reminds me of my very first guest that I interviewed. So that was episode number two. And I think it's called Battling ALS with, with a Smile. But I interviewed one of my dear, dear friends. We called him Smiling Paul. And he just had such a great outlook on life. And young children, I'm trying to think how old. But, young, you know, young, young children. And he was just one of those people that you just love to be around and love to talk to. So I interviewed him right here, right next to me. This was before the virus. And three weeks later, he died. And he wasn't supposed to die. He wasn't, I mean, mobility-wise, you know, we laughed trying to get him in the house. And, you know, he had a hard time sitting up in the chair. But he wasn't to the point where we were expecting him to go. And he was on a hunting trip with his son, who was 10. And his uh, ventilator, we came disconnected somehow in the middle of the night and he passed away. And it was a complete shock to our entire community. And the last conversation I had with him was right next to me and it was recorded because it was for the podcast. So that, 
I keep looking to the right because I have a picture of him and I from that day right here, right next to me. And so that episode is my most popular episode because talk about legacy. You know, he talked about, you know, his kids and, you know, how having a smile and accepting what is given to you, you know, how that is so much better. And so, yeah, when I think of legacy, I think of him. <laughs> uh, that part's a good part. That it really is. Yeah. Well, I'm glad he got to be able to say some things. I'm glad he got to leave a legacy, and I'm glad that he was able to kind of share that. I think that's important for people, anybody out there that's listening. You know, you you never know what's going to happen. You never know what the next day brings. So if you have something to say, you should say it. Yeah. And if you have something that needs to be cleared up, clear it up. Mm-hmm. If you need to reconnect, find a way. You know, there's there's there may not be the opportunity. Yeah. So yeah. I've talked to, interviewed a couple of people, well, more than a couple actually, um, in my podcast that have lost an opportunity or were trying to get an opportunity to reconnect with uh, loved ones that they had been distant from because of communication issues. And then they regretted the fact that they didn't be able to communicate what they wanted to say before it was too late. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting when you were saying that, I'm thinking of really t- in today's society, with techno- technology, it's easy to find people and reconnect and keep in touch. However, people, you know, there's still those that you don't do that with personally. And that's a big difference. It, it is. But you have to be willing to take that step. Yeah. What you need. What would you recommend to other people that have been diagnosed with disease or or to their family and their friends that are with them through it? Well, what I would recommend to someone who is diagnosed with ALS or any serious illness is to get connected with a community, you know, within that space. And I mean, I've had this for 16 years, so I've seen it all. And I get a lot of people who are just diagnosed sent my way, which is great. I'm happy to talk to them. and. I wouldn't say about half don't want to get connected because that is another confirmation of where they are and they don't want to, they don't want to, what am I saying? <laughs> they don't want to recognize that. Yeah, they don't want to recognize that. Um, but those that do are so much more at peace because they see other people going through it. You know, and really the same thing goes for those families that are involved in that situation. There are communities of people who are caregivers, and they need that support as well. It's just as important. I really think that community can be healing, and I would encourage everyone to take advantage of that. Those are some excellent words of wisdom. Your podcast seems to be doing really well. It is. What's the next move? Nope. <laughs> Just it. Not, nope. <laughs> Where can they find your podcast? They can find it pretty much everywhere. Apple, Google, pretty much everywhere there's a podcast at 
I'm dying to tell you podcast. So do you have a website? Yeah, it is I'm dying to tell you podcast. And I'm on social media everywhere at I'm dying to tell you podcast as well. Yeah. That's outstanding. Lori, thank you very much for joining me in this conversation. I really um, respect your journey. I think uh. that you've in, you've given a lot of inspiration to others, and you motivate individuals to move forward in their lives, in spite of the obstacles thrown in front of them. Mm. And um, your podcast is a great podcast. So well done. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It was great chatting with you. That's all for this episode. Thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about Lori's journey, you can find convenient and easy links to find her website, her book, and all of her social media contacts information at www.beforeyougopodcast.com. That's www.beforeyougopodcast.com. If you want to know more about ALS and how you can get involved, please check out als.org and get educated and informed and involved. Those links can be found in the show notes below. Thanks for listening to this episode of One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our website at beforeyougopodcast.com. That's beforeyougopodcast.com. Tell your story, share your expertise, contribute to the blog, and subscribe to the newsletter. You can find us as well as subscribe to the program and rate us on your favorite podcast listening platform. And one more thing before you go. Have a nice day, have a nice week, and thanks for listening. One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life podcast, is a creation of One More Thing Productions, established 2010, all rights reserved.